Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to the final hour of Africa Rise and Shine this morning. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sour... The Ad Hoc Committee on the Appointment of South Africa's Auditor General has finalized interviewing candidates for the position. In the United States, Vice President Joe Biden, former United States Vice President Joe Biden formally accepts the Democratic Party's nomination to be president. In economics news, the Bank of Namibia says commercial banks have extended loan repayments between April and June this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But first up, the news with Anne. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. The army officers who have seized control in Mali have announced that land and air borders will be reopened. The coup leaders also say they are in contact with opposition groups about starting the process of appointing a transitional president. A journalist read out a statement from the group on Malian television. This is the statement of the National Committee for the Salvation of the People, the CNSP, which informs the national and international community of the reopening of air and land borders as of this Friday, 21st of August, at midnight local time. The committee reassures the people that all security measures are being taken to ensure the smooth movement of people and their property. Officials in Ethiopia say at least five people have been killed during clashes between the security forces and protesters demanding the release of ethnic Roma opposition leaders. Rights groups say the number of deaths is significantly higher, with killings reported in more than a dozen locations in the Oromia region. The protests erupted on Tuesday following a social media campaign calling for the release of opposition politicians Jawa Muhammad and Bakele Gerba. They were detained after the shooting dead in June of popular Oromo South Africa has recorded 195 new COVID-19-related fatalities in the last 24-hour cycle, bringing the national death toll to 12,618. The health department says the number of coronavirus cases stands at 599,940 after the country recorded an increase of 3,818 new infections. Zoleka Kodashi reports. The country has just 60 new coronavirus infections from pre reaching the 600,000 mark. Gauteng remains the epicenter of the pandemic in the country, with a total of 202,955, followed by Guazun-Nadal with 108,080, the Western Cape 103,616, and the Eastern Cape 84,586. 
Nigeria's army says it has regained full control of a town stormed by fighters linked to the militant Islamic State group on Tuesday. AFP News Agency quotes locals and militia sources as saying hundreds of residents were abducted by fighters of the Islamic State West Africa province during the raid on Kukawa town in northeastern Nigeria. Army spokesperson John Eneche, however, did not reveal uh, refer to the reported abductions in a statement. He, however, says the situation in the town was now calm after the attack by the militants was thwarted and have urged residents to continue with their normal lives. Joe Biden has formally accepted the mantle of Democratic presidential nominee to face incumbent Donald Trump this November in a speech to mark the end of the Democratic National Convention in his hometown of Wilmington, Delaware. Biden has promised to be a president for all Americans. He however says while the country is facing serious problems, it's also time of extraordinary possibility. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together and make no mistake. United, we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility. I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. In sports news, today marks the last day for all appellants who are not satisfied with the Football Kenya Federation's electoral board's decision to seek recourse of the appeals committee. The board had provided the 17th to the 21st of August as a period for lodging any disputes arising from the upcoming polls. Journalist Bonface Osanu is the latest to announce his intent to run for the seat of Football Kenya Federation president while unveiling former Harambe Stars midfielder Innocent Mutiso as his running mate. FKF Electoral Board Chairperson Ken Taistokolo explains the criteria for the candidates. You must be an adult Kenyan citizen by birth. So that's the first criteria. And you must have at least five endorsements from any of the FKF members. Five endorsements from any of the FKF members. A candidate must have played an active role in football, either as a player, member, or an official of FKF in two of the last five years, as per the FIFA statutes. The Football Kenya Federation's national elections will be held on the 17th of October after the FKF Electoral Board released the calendar and guidelines for the upcoming polls. Channel Africa would like to distance itself from fake social media accounts using the name Channel African News. The Facebook, WhatsApp and fake website have been impersonating our genuine Channel Africa platforms. Channel Africa is not associated with these fake accounts. Channel Africa's Facebook account is Channel Africa Numerical One, Channel Africa The African Perspective. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. 
Thank you, Anne. The ad hoc committee on the appointment of South Africa's Auditor General has finalized interviewing candidates for the position of the new Auditor General. The candidates were quizzed about how they are going to tackle rampant corruption, ensure quality reports, as well as maintain the independence of the office. Lulama Matya reports. Six candidates were interviewed for the position. There were Zakaria Hussein, Moses Kasela, Michael Sess, Shabir Khan, the current Deputy Auditor Zagane Maluleke, and Edmond Shoko Lekuleni. The first candidate to be interviewed was Hussein, and he told the committee that the office of the AG needs to keep up with the times as those who are corrupt become more sophisticated. Times have changed. Um, those who are corrupt have become more sophisticated. And if, you, if the Auditor General is to execute its mandate to restore public trust, it needs to be able to not only keep up with the times, it needs to actually stay ahead. And in order for it to do that, it's to understand the trends, what is the data showing us. Um, and to do that, Chairperson, one needs to make sure that, um, that we, we're innovative in, in our approach when we audit, and we cannot discount the use of technology. Candidates were also questioned about their conducts at previous places of employment. Michael says denied any wrongdoing, saying if he believed that he was guilty of any transgression, he would not have applied for the position. If that is something that will reflect badly on the office of the Auditor General, then I will accept and I will withdraw my application because the office of the Auditor General must be beyond reproach. And, and if the members feel that the, um, uh, the actions that has been taken has not been sufficient, then I would be okay with withdrawing my application because it, it must protect the Auditor General. However, I would ask that the investigating agencies maybe um, be approached to see whether, whether I am indeed guilty of anything um, because personally, obviously, uh, I wouldn't be here if I believed that I was guilty of, of any transgression. Deputy Auditor Zagane Maluleke also had to account about her decisions at the office. She's told the committee that she is passionate about transformation and has realized that some people don't take kindly to it. Transformation is a contested space. As you deal with transformation, it's not always obvious to people why it's important. And not because cognitively they don't get it, but because they sit in their corner and they are marking a score sheet that says, okay, if a woman's being appointed, it means there's less for us as men. If a a black person's appointed, it's less for us as white people. If a Musutu is appointed, then it's less for us as Watsonga. It's those those sorts of things. People tend not to see that. And I have learned that I need to spend more time engaging with those that feel hard done by as I blaze a trail on transformation. Edmond Shokolukeleni told the committee that going forward, the way audits are done need to change. He suggested that there must be focused audits that will be able to estimate the risk going forward. 
if South Africa is going to move forward from where we are right now, honorable member, we need to change. We need to change how we're doing things. Yes, it's fabulous the way we're doing it now, but it's not perfect. There's room for it to change, and we owe it to our people. And that is where my passion lies, the people of South Africa, a very rich nation, very diverse nation, who deserve much, much more. The committee is expected to submit its report on the matter to the National Assembly by the end of this month. Lula Mamaja in Parliament. Former United States Vice President Joe Biden formally accepted the Democratic Party's nomination to be president a day after his running mate Kamala Harris accepted her nomination to be his vice presidential running mate. Biden will become the oldest person to win the presidency if he defeats incumbent Donald Trump this November after a political career spanning more than 50 years. Wednesday's convention program included some of the party's heavyweights, including Hillary Clinton and former President Barack Obama, who issued a disquieting repudiation of his successor. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Despite sharing the virtual stage with some of the biggest names in politics, Warren, Pelosi, Clinton and Obama, this was Harris's moment, becoming the first black and Asian-American woman to accept a major party's VP nomination with a nod to all the women on whose shoulders she stood, including her late mother. I accept your nomination for Vice President of the United States of America. I do so committed to the values she taught me, to the word that teaches me to walk by faith and not by sight, and to a vision passed on through generations of Americans, one that Joe Biden shares. On a night when Democrats put the issues they will fight for on display, out-of-control gun violence, voting rights, comprehensive immigration reform, rebuilding a decimated economy brought on by a pandemic that has killed over 170,000 Americans. The constant chaos leaves us adrift. The incompetence makes us feel afraid. The callousness makes us feel alone. It's a lot. And here's the thing. We can do better and deserve so much more. We must elect a president who will bring something different, something better, and do the important work. A president who will bring all of us together, black, white, Latino, Asian, indigenous, to achieve the future we collectively want. Former President Barack Obama, who spoke from the Museum of American Revolution in Philadelphia to evoke the country's founding principles, painted a picture of a country's democracy in peril in an unprecedented rebuke of a sitting president from the one he succeeded. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence 
for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. After Obama spoke, President Trump raged on Twitter in caps, accusing Obama of spying on his 2016 campaign, an unsubstantiated claim which he's used to accuse his predecessor of treason. Obama warning that the country's democracy was in peril. You can give our democracy new meaning. You can take it to a better place. You're the missing ingredient. The ones who will decide whether or not America becomes the country that fully lives up to its creed. That work will continue long after this election. But any chance of success depends entirely on the outcome of this election. Former nominee Hillary Clinton, who suffered a bruising and unexpected loss in 2016, had some words of advice. Remember back in 2016 when Trump asked, what do you have to lose? Well, now we know our health care, our jobs, our loved ones, our leadership in the world, and even our post office. But let's set our sights higher than getting one man out of the White House. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to give us so much to vote for. And don't forget, Joe and Kamala can win by three million votes and still lose. Take it from me. So we need numbers overwhelming so Trump can't sneak or steal his way to victory. Biden, who first ran for his party's nomination in 1988, finally ascends to the top of the ticket as he girds himself for the toughest race of his life, all of 77 years old. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Cabinet has decided to place the entire country on alert level two, with effect from midnight on Monday, the 17th of August 2020. Alert level two in terms of our risk-adjusted strategy in dealing with the pandemic means that there is moderate COVID-19 spread of the virus with a relatively high health system readiness. The move to level two means that we can remove nearly all of the restrictions on the resumption of economic activity across most industries. Channel Africa. For your latest update on the novel coronavirus or COVID-19, for Channel Africa, I'm Arthur Skopo in Lusaka, Zambia. If you develop fever, cough, and difficulty breathing, seek medical advice promptly, as this may be due to a respiratory infection or other serious condition. It's 7.19 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The United Nations Development Programme 
has launched a report titled The Socioeconomic Impact Assessment of COVID-19 in South Africa. The online event took place on Wednesday when the UNDP presented findings of the study and had panelists from the South African government, the Human Sciences Research Council, the Solidarity Fund, as well as South Africa's Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Dr. Nkosazana Laminizuma. For more on this, Teddy Sibia spoke to Fatou Lee, senior economist at the UNDP, South Africa. study is a study by the United Nations yes. in uh, South Africa. So with UNDP leading, you know, having the technical lead. But it is a study by the UN in South Africa. Okay. Now, uh, please uh, talk to us uh, through the importance of uh, this uh, assessment report. Well, the importance of, of the assessment report, number one, before you try to solve anything, it's good to understand it. It's important to have data to back up what you're saying. So we're talking about the impact of COVID-19. This study provides the data. It provides some evidence into how it has actually impacted South Africa, both at the macro level where you're talking about the GDP and revenue, but also at the household level in terms of who is affected and how they are affected. So it gives you evidence. So for policymakers, it will be useful in order to be able to better target their responses. Yes. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world as we knew it. According to the report, the main findings at the household level show that female-headed households are more likely to fall into poverty than male-headed households. Why is that? Unfortunately, that's why we even said that the face of COVID-19 is actually a woman. Because, you see, structurally, women tend to have lower education than men. So that, that is also one of the determining factors. Another factor is that in terms of skills, they tend to be less skilled than women, than men. And then also in terms, they are very um, lightly present in the informal sector as well. So this COVID virus, the restrictions that were made by government in order to spread, to reduce the spread of the virus, unfortunately had an effect on uh, economic activity. And the sector that was most hit was, hit was the informal sector. And women tend to be very much in that informal sector. Mm. So because women tend to be less educated, less skilled, and are very strongly present in the informal sector, they also, they were, you know, they were hardest hit. Mm. Now, looking at the, f- the main findings at uh, macro level, the assessment found that unemployment in the country will increase, uh, the gross domestic product will fall and will not recover even by 2024 as a result of the pandemic. Uh, talk us through that and how an increase in uh, unemployment is primarily driven by the GDP growth contraction. In terms of GDP growth, you can say that economic activity is, activity is actually what is stimulating the GDP growth. You can also say that it's consumption and investment that is motivating or stimulating the GDP growth. During the lockdown period, we saw that those factors like investment reduced, people were not moving, economic activity reduced. So in terms of demand, domestic demand, it went down. Also in terms of domestic supply, because also during the lockdown period, investment was reducing, labor activity was also labor supply 
people were not moving, they were not working. That from the supply side, you also see that that has also decreased. Yeah. Now, if you look at the international side, in terms of exports and imports, because we have closed our borders, most of the imports and exports were not happening. So you see at that end, it also decreased. So decreased activity, decreased um, labor activity, decreased imports and exports, it had that dampening effect on the GDP. So GDP also then decreased. So you, that's why you also have the unemployment decreasing at that level. Can the continuously uh, cautious approach to social distancing and alert measures help the recovery? I mean, the opening of the economy and minimize the recurring spread of COVID-19. I think one of the things that we need to note is that the reopening of the economy is because the um, spread has been reducing. And also because there is need to have economic growth come up again. We need to continue working in the economy. We need to make sure that there is economic growth. Now, with social distancing, what we the opening of the economy, what we're saying is we need to have the economy moving, but at the same time, people need to exercise caution in social distancing. Mm. It doesn't mean that you can, you know, stop the barriers and uh, the... Uh, wearing of your mask, the washing of your hands, and the just those pre, uh, precautionary measures. You need to continue it. So it is actually to minimize the impact on the decrease in the GDP, but then all the health factors that were there, all the fact barriers that were there, we need to continue observing them. Yes. Lastly, for those who would like to access uh, this uh, report, how do they go about that? If you go to the UNDP website, you will find it. If you go to the UN in South Africa website, you will find it. Just Google, go to Google UNDP or you go to United Nations in South Africa, mm. you will find the report there. It is there. So just to say that, again, like I said from the beginning, under the leadership of the resident coordinator, Mrs. Nados Bekele Thomas, um, all the other UN agencies, we then under the leadership of our President Representative Dr. Ayodele Odesola, UNDP, was able to lead this study. That was Fatou Lee, a senior economist at the UNDP South Africa, speaking to Teddy Sibia. The lifting of the alcohol ban this week has again put South Africa's consumption patterns and the errant behavior that goes with it in the spotlight. The Association for Alcohol Responsibility and Education, or AWARE, is urging drinkers to realize that alcohol abuse has grave consequences. It's one of the major drivers of domestic violence and takes up lots of resources when law enforcement officers have to deal with drunk driving. Prabhashni Mudli reports. Now more than ever, alcohol abusers are being urged to change, to drink in moderation and be more responsible. The country's daily coronavirus infection rate is declining and it's been a relief to hospitals and medical workers. But many are worried that the easing of restrictions, in particular the sale of alcohol, may come with new pressure on trauma units. Ingrid Lowe is the CEO of the Association for Alcohol Responsibility and Education, or AWARE. She says binge drinking and its consequences could result in stricter lockdown regulations. We want to encourage the public to adopt a responsible lifestyle. In the current context of COVID, you know, people need to practice social distancing, need to wear masks, observe the curfew of 10 o'clock 
and especially with regard to the lifting of the alcohol ban, we really don't want people to engage in binge drinking, drinking and driving, and especially we want to ask traders to please trade responsibly. When you binge drink, you know, if you're going to drink and drive, that can result in road accidents and road fatalities, and it just also can lead to antisocial and aggressive behaviour. Since the lockdown was announced in March, there's been an increase in the reporting of gender-based violence. President Sil Ramaphosa has described our GVB stats as another pandemic. Executive Director of People Opposing Women Abuse or Power, Mary Makaba, says alcohol abuse leads to aggressive behaviour. South Africa has one of the highest rates of alcohol consumptions and patterns of risking behaviour, particularly in drinking, which perpetuates domestic violence and violence. And our stand was that it should not be lifted, but however, we support the president. Remember, when the person is under the influence of liquor, there is a change in behavior, you know. There are alcohol-related arguments. Most of the perpetrators, they always commit offenses when they are under the influence of alcohol. Meanwhile, the Road Traffic Management Corporation, or RTMC, has called for efforts to clamp down on drunk driving to be stepped up. RTMC spokesperson Simon Zwan. Our concern is that now that there is no ban on alcohol sale, we will start to see an increase in the number of accidents involving drunk and driving. Uh, we've already seen one accident in Pinoni where five people were killed when two vehicles collided and alcohol is suspected to be a factor in that accident. We want law enforcement agencies throughout the country to step up their drunk driving operations. We know from research that Many of the accidents happen at night towards the weekend. We want to see an increase in, in drunk driving operations, particularly over the weekend. The ban on alcohol has been hard on many in tourism, hospitality and in particular the restaurant sector. Director of the Liquor Traders Association, Sean Robinson, has urged drinkers to consume alcohol more responsibly. It came as a huge relief that we were able to trade again. Obviously, having been locked down for the initial period of 66 days and then the, the second banning of 34 days had a, a massive impact on, on all independent retail liquor stores. You can imagine us not being able to trade, yet we still had fixed costs and then salaries to pay, rentals to pay. It's, it's been devastating to, to independent retail liquor stores. We're delighted with the way that the, the trade has gone over the last two days. It appears to have been relatively incident-free. We obviously encourage everybody to be extremely responsible with consumption all the time, never mind just you know during this pandemic. It's a great concern to us that there is a, a portion of the population, I guess, that consumes irresponsibly. Liquor stores across the country are pleased with the increased number of sales this week, but if we don't observe social distancing and consume alcohol in a more dignified manner, the alcohol ban could be back again, especially if the country enters a second wave of the virus. Prabhashni Mudli, Johannesburg. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African African perspective. perspective. 
Good morning, I'm Anne Moussan. The headlines, the army officers who have seized control in Mali have announced that land and air borders will be reopened. Nigeria's army says it has regained full control of a town stormed by fighters linked to the militant Islamic State group on Tuesday. And officials in Ethiopia say at least five people have been killed during clashes between the security forces and protesters demanding the release of ethnic Uromo opposition leaders. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you. And it is 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted the incredibly selfless work that nurses all around the world are undertake on a daily basis to help uplift their spirits the exceptional nurse campaign and the Ndlovu youth choir in south africa have joined together to call all nurses around the country to take part in the hashtag we will rise dance challenge the frontline workers are challenged to put their dance teams together and post a video online for more on this initiative we are now joined on the line by sister terry basson from the exceptional nurse campaign Campaign. Sister Basson, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Oh, thank you so much for having us. We are really excited to be part of the show this morning. Now, tell us more about this challenge and how it came about. Well, I think the public can see how well, they've been hearing about the incredible tension and the challenges that are facing our nurses in our hospitals every day. And we just noticed that when the Jerusalem song started taking shape all over not just South Africa but the world, it was such a beautiful break away from the life-saving challenges that our nurses are facing. And so we just wanted to bring them a new challenge with the We Will Rise Dance Challenge to get their minds off the tension at work, bring some joy and fun into the work environment. Now, just speaking of the Jerusalem challenge, um, you know, we 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 saw a, a tweet, and I, I say it's an unfortunate tweet by the former mayor of Johannesburg, Herman Mashaba, saying that uh, our medical staff is being trained to dance while the rest of the world's medical staff is being trained to to um, you know do their work and do their duties. You know, such reactions. Uh, do people really? Uh, do you think people really take note of uh, um, the hard? Work that nurses and medical staff are really putting in um, during this pandemic? Well, we obviously realize that nurses and doctors do work very, very long hours. 12-hour shifts is the minimum for most of the nurses in our hospitals, but they do have another 12 hours in the day. And there's nothing more fun than after you come off work to actually just have some tension released and do some dance moves. Yeah, so there will always be those critical naysayers in the public we have to look to those who are positive and joyful and hope for the best. And of course, and we must appreciate, I must say that we really appreciate the work that nurses are putting in and, and medical staff in general during this crisis that uh, um, the world is facing. Now, do you know, what's the response been like from nurses so far with regards to this We Will Rise Stands Challenge? Well, the words of the We Will Rise song, Lulu, are just so positive and so inspiring. Be strong, be brave, keep the faith. 
we are in this together. In the darkest night is before the light. And these are the words that we are wanting to inspire our nurses with. And so those that have done the Jerusalem Challenge and realized the incredible fun and team-building spirit it brought to their the hospital at that time are saying, now what? We've done the Jerusalem Challenge. And we are saying, yes, we've got a new challenge for you. We will rise. So the Freer Hospital have already done their video They've posted it on our Facebook page. The Embuleni Hospital has followed. We're hearing about even the military hospital that want to do something, and so it's starting to spread, and we hope the whole country will catch this. We will rise, South Africa. We will overcome together. Now, how do nurses get involved? How do they, you know, is a particular, uh, what happens? Just put yourself well, together and just start dancing exactly. to the song. That it takes one person to round up a team. I've, I just say to people, choose your moves, put on your shoes, <laughs> round up a team and dance to the dream. It takes one person to change the environment in the ward, in the ICU, in the theater. And I want to just say nurses manage every single healthcare facility in the world. And so they really need to be honored and valued for the work that they do. And so we are just putting something out to inspire them, encourage them. So they just have to choose their own moves. We are putting a video on today that does actually give you the moves, but we are just letting it be open to the nurses, to the doctors, cleaners, porters, everybody can participate. And they just have to take a video of their dance post it on our Facebook page, but if they want to enter the competition to obviously qualify for some great prizes, you actually need to email us on info at the exceptional nurse .co.za and we'll send you an application form for the competition. But if you just want to post your video and have fun, find our Facebook page, the exceptional nurse Facebook page. Now let's let's reflect more on just how um, difficult a time it has been for nurses as frontline responders of this pandemic. You meant you, you mm. touched on the fact that um, you know the shifts are actually very long, and uh, within those twelve hours, you have to be vigilant and you have to be alert, and uh, you know. PPEs are, are, are good, yes, in protecting um, nurses and, and uh, doctors, frontline workers. But, uh, you know, you have to be extra vigilant during this pandemic. Yeah, right from the outset, when you train as a junior nurse, you are taught about infection control. It's nothing new. Obviously, we've never had such a, a life-threatening virus hit our country before, but nurses are taught to handle infection control. You're taught to put on PPE within your first couple of weeks of being nursing. And so, yes, it has been a very challenging time for nurses. And I think what is also challenging is that family members can't be at the bedside. So you literally are there 24-7 to comfort, encourage, support, be that link on the phone between family and loved ones. The workload is enormous, wards are full, ICU, high cares are full. Equipment is not always available because there aren't enough ventilators and oxygen cylinders, resources in this country for public health care haven't always been what they should be. So the work environment has been challenging. I think what we realize, and it's a sad thing, Lulu, is that the pandemic has really shown the world 
people have often thought nurses are just making beds and handing out tablets in clinics, but they are literally saving lives all over the nation. And now at last, the public are recognizing that. Nurses have often just felt like the Cinderella in the hospital. People remember the doctor's names, but even though we wear name tags as nurses, very seldom will someone say, Nurse Jane Brown attended me and, and will remember me, mm. you know. So, so now I think this pandemic has highlighted the critical work of nurses all over the world. And we've seen now, um, you know, a number of times where uh, unions have uh, taken to the streets or have threatened to take to the streets with uh, um, some protests taking place with regards to um, protective gear. Is this now, has this now been addressed with regards to ensuring um, that uh, frontline workers are safe, frontline workers are comfortable in in the protective gear that they're wearing? Because I remember there was an interview that was done a few weeks ago where one of the nurses said, when somebody sneezes or coughs, you literally want to jump out of your skin because you're not sure if the protective gear you're wearing is really um, uh, the best you can find. It's hard for me to answer that, Lulu, because I'm not in every healthcare facility in our country. All I know is that it has been an absolute priority of the Department of Health to get PPEs to wherever they need it. And yes, you are quite right, the NOSA and the unions are protesting and advocating and standing up for nurses, and this is good because we don't want them to go into the front line. It's almost like sending a soldier to war without a weapon. (laughs) We don't want that to happen. But also the nurses know how to protect themselves. They know how to take care of themselves. And let's face it, Lulu, you and I, we are only as safe as we can be to look after ourselves by wearing our masks, washing our hands, keeping social distancing. We all are at risk, not only our frontline workers. And what more could be done to make the work of nurses a little bit easier? Lulu, I'm going to say something that's not going to make me very popular with government (laughs) right now. But in the private sector, Mm -hmm. private healthcare, there are enough professional nurses, there are enough staff members. There's literally about six patients to one nurse overall in, in private sector. But in the public sector and in some facilities, there are 25 patients to one nurse. And so if anyone in government is listening, we need to drastically increase the health budget in South Africa to open more professional nurse posts, to train more nurses and employ more nurses in this country. And so the workload in South Africa for nurses is astronomical in public health care because there are too many nurses, too many patients and too few nurses. Obviously, our health budget can only pay so many people, but they are just employing Far too few nurses. Well, Terry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And uh, please um, pass on our message as, uh, you know, Africa Rise and Shine, a Channel Africa, to say thank you to all the nurses out there in the front line and the medical staff with regards to the work that they're doing. We really, really appreciate it. I certainly will do that. And thank you so much. And just a reminder to all our nurses Put on your dancing shoes and come and join in the We Will Rise Dance Challenge. And, and Terry, please, before you go, give us the, the, the email address where they can send yes. their to, to get be a part of a competition to win those great prizes and mention some of the prizes. Okay, so info at the exceptional nurse. 
www.co.za. That's if you want to enter your team into the We Will Riders Dance Challenge. Your video must be in, and you can post it on our Facebook page, the Exceptional Nurse Facebook page. That must be submitted by the first week in October. The judges, the panel of judges, which is made up by the Indlawville Youth Choir and some members of the Exceptional Nurse Campaign, will choose the top three videos. As I said, you can choose your own dance moves to the song. It's a beautiful, vibey song. And then I have to keep the prizes a secret because we are right now getting some incredible sponsors on board. And until they say yes, I can't let their names go out on air. But we are just going to have some great prizes for our nurses, doctors, porters, cleaners, whoever is part of the We Will Rise Dance Team Challenge. Well, Sister Terry, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you for having us. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, and to you too. That's Sister Terry Basson from the Exceptional Nurse Campaign in South Africa joining us on the line. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I am Hilda Kekela for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. It's 7.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. The African Bank has confirmed that one of South Africa's credit information service providers, Experian, has experienced a breach of personal information of its clients. The breach of data means that certain customers' personal information, including the likes of identity numbers and cell numbers, has been compromised. The compromise of personal information can create opportunities for criminals to impersonate an individual but does not provide access to a customer's banking account or details. Pete Swanepoel, Chief Risk Officer at African Bank, spoke to Teddy Sibia about the breach and what affected people can do. Compromise that experience and uh, the, the banking clients of South Africa's personal information were compromised. Um, and as you said, uh, they intercepted the client's uh, ID numbers as well as cell phone numbers yes. and, and addresses uh, have been compromised. Now, sir, what does this um, breach mean for those uh, customers who are affected? So uh, none of the customers' uh, banking details have been compromised, 
Uh, none of the log-on credentials, all the PIN details have been compromised. So what customers need to be concerned about is that fraudsters will use this sort of information yes. uh, to try and impersonate a bank, uh, to pretend that it is the bank that they are dealing with, and, and then convincing the uh, clients to disclose some of their log-on credentials or their PIN details. So customers should not, uh, uh, you know, act on, on any of these people that, that uh, request them to share any of those details. None of your usernames, your passwords, your PINs, or one-time PINs should be shared with any person that claim to be a bank, because uh, no bank would ask those sort of details from you. Mm, and how is it possible that a credit bureau can be intercepted uh, by criminals? I, uh, I, I do not have the details on what uh, methodology they use to, to uh, attain that uh, information. Yeah. And uh, why is African Bank involved? Well, all uh, banks are by law uh, required to report all the uh, customer details to at least three, three credit bureaus on a daily basis. So any new credit or existing credit, we have to report on, on a daily basis to, to at least three bureaus. And Experian is one of those. So uh, Experian is uh, one of the largest bureaus in the country and uh, therefore, you know, they are in possession of this information. Now, normally this information is used for good, and uh, but, you know, sometimes criminals use it for ulterior motives. Yes, and what can uh, the affected customers perhaps do to get uh, protection from such? So I, I think the biggest thing that customers must do is, is, is make sure that they do not disclose any of the PIN numbers, as I said, the log-on credentials, um, that they never compromise that. Don't share that with anyone. But if you believe that your profile has been compromised and somebody is trying to uh, steal your identity or try and uh, acquire credit on your name, what you can do is you can report that uh, to the you know, uh, African Bank itself, if you're an African Bank customer, uh, once you have locked that, then, then uh, if you believe that your profile has been compromised, that you can lock that, and then that is put on a database, and all banks would then be able to, to know that if somebody applies uh, with those credentials, that they would be able to transact on your profile. Yes, and uh, what advice would you give uh, to banking customers, especially in light uh, of uh, this news? What advice would you give uh, to banking customers, uh, especially in light of uh, such a news? I would say that, uh, you know, passwords should be really, uh, changed. Uh, that's something that you must uh, change it on a regular basis. Do not share that with anyone. Don't uh, write it down. Uh, keep it in a place that only you know where it is. Um, and then do not uh, click on unsolicited mail. When people ask you to uh, click on uh, when you receive an email or uh, a phone call from somebody and they require information from you, they, would, they are quite convincing these uh, people. So uh, 
you know, do not believe that the fact that they have some information that they represent the banks, if they, uh, uh, you know, you, you never have to disclose uh, those things ever to a bank. Uh, no bank will ever ask you those. So I think if you vigilate and uh, make sure, and, and uh, you, you can always, you know, to the bureaus, you can you must uh, you know check credit score and and see if there's any activity on your credit profile and if there is any activity on there that you are not responsible for immediately notify your bank and the bureau that was Pete Swanepoel, chief risk officer at African Bank speaking to Teddy Sibia our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. The Southern African Fraud Prevention Center has cautioned consumers against telephonically giving their personal details to anyone claiming to be a bank representative. This comes after Experian, one of South Africa's largest credit bureaus, experienced a data breach which exposed personal information of 24 million South Africans. The breach has further exposed 730,000 businesses. Amalgamated banks and First National Bank have since released statements saying that they would not take proactive steps to protect the consumers. Or rather, they would. Marnie van Skogvig is the center's CEO. If suddenly your credit applications have been declined, but you are a good credit risk, then then that should be a sign. Um, and if debt collectors are phoning you uh, to collect debt on, on accounts that you don't have, I think that is a, a first sign um, that you have definitely been compromised and somebody has opened accounts in your name. My second big advice is do not divulge information telephonically. Your bank will never phone you um, to, to get information. South Africa's public utility has announced that it will downgrade to stage one load shedding from nine o'clock this morning, Central African time. This is due to an easing of power capacity constraints. Four generating units have returned to service with three additional units expected to be returned to the grid by later this afternoon. Eskom spokesperson Sikonati Manjanja. ESCOM is pleased to announce that load shedding will be reduced to stage one tomorrow. Four generators were returned at the Tutuka, at the Duva, at Krill and Kusile power stations. We expect to return three more units overnight to service. While the supply constraints have eased, ESCOM still urges the public to use electricity sparingly as the generation infrastructure is unreliable and volatile. Any deterioration in the power system may therefore necessitate an escalation in the stage of load shedding at short notice. Accountant General Idris Ahmed says Nigeria's gross revenue rose to 1.74 billion US dollars in July from 1.69 billion 
in June due to higher crude oil sales and tax receipts. The price of oil, Nigeria's main export, fell sharply this year as the coronavirus outbreak hit demand, cutting government revenues, weakening the Naira and creating a large financing gap for the country. The global oil benchmark Brent has since recovered from a 21-year low bit below 16 US dollars in April. The Bank of Namibia says the commercial banks between April and June this year extended loan repayments. The relief was granted mainly to individuals and follows a call by the bank's deputy governor, Epson Wanguta, in March this year that commercial banks grant distressed borrowers a loan break due to economic strains caused by COVID-19. The break was to be for a period of between 6 and 24 months, if banks' internal policies allow. Vietnamese steelmaker Hua Phat Hung Yen Steel Limited has signed a number of contracts to export to Kenya rolled steel billets as it eyes a slice of the local market. The firm, a subsidiary of Vietnam's leading steel manufacturer Hua Phat Group, says the shipment comprising more than 17 tons marks its entry into the African market. The first shipments with a total volume of nearly 30,000 tons will be transported to Kenya alongside Ghana in September and October this year. The U.S. dollar trades at 385.80, Nigerian Nara, 11.52, Botswana Pula, uh, 107.20, Kenyan Shilling, and 18.91, Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies in Brazil, one U.S. dollar costs 5 rule 57. In Russia, 73 rubles 68. In India, 74 rupees 84. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 91. And in South Africa, it will cost you 17 rand 26. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,942, platinum $914. Dollars per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $44.87 a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine for this hour and for the week. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Luanda Maume, technical producer Dumelo Mguena and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or WhatsApp on plus 277-6300327 or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. I'll taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Tebe with a track titled Bula Bula. Have a great weekend and be safe.